0: and uh time for our sermon today so if you have your bibles turn with me to acts chapter 2 and we'll read just a portion of what brother rowan read for us this morning read from verses acts chapter 2 verse 22 the men of israel because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and commit this time to him. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this word. We just thank you uh, that we can trust it, that you have preserved it for us and recorded it for us through your apostles and prophets. We just pray, Lord, that as we read these words today, that we'd be reminded of the truths that your word contains, truths that transform our thinking truths that can change our heart, truths that can lead a person to eternal life and to you. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be attentive, that your spirit would be working within our hearts, teaching us your ways, drawing us closer to you, that we might be your children in this world, glorifying you in all things. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Um, for those of you who joined us um, on Friday afternoon to watch that movie, we were blessed to spend that time together. And also watching that movie uh, brought out a number of emotions and things. Um, when you look at Abraham's faith, uh, despite the calling of God to Abraham to sacrifice his only son, um, it was stirring um to to know that abraham's faith was so trusting in god he trusted god so much that he knew and believed that even though his son might die because god had promised him that through isaac he was going to be a nation that through his through his son isaac he was going to have descendants he believed that even though his son would die that God could give him life again. That's the trust he had in God. You know, when I if I asked you, what's the greatest demonstration of God's love in all of history, as we look back throughout all of history of man, um, you wouldn't be wrong by saying that that the cross was the demonstration of God's love, the greatest demonstration of God's love for mankind, because it was there that he sent his only precious son, to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the atonement for us, to be the payment of the penalty that we deserved. Instead, he sent him there and the love of our Saviour for us meant that he was willing to go. It was there that he died for you and me. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Are we done one more time? For the wages of sin, the thing that you deserve to get paid, right? the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Eternal life is a gift, not something to be earned, nor is it ever deserved. But the cross is where the wages that were due to us fell upon our Saviour. He took our wages upon himself so that we would not have to. The love of God was so great for us that he ordained his only and perfectly innocent son to be falsely accused. To be betrayed, to be abandoned, then to be whipped, humiliated, beaten, and then finally nailed to a cruel wooden device used to execute the worst of criminals. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That means he gave his life for us. So, for that, I am eternally grateful, as I know many of you are. But if the cross demonstrated the perfect love of God for a sinful world that had abandoned Him and wanted to go its own way and didn't care about the consequences of its sin, um, what would demonstrate His power? What was the greatest demonstration of? God's power. Was it when he saved his people, you know, from Egypt with those 10 plagues that he sent upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt and calling on Pharaoh to let my people go? Maybe it was the parting of the Red Sea when God literally held back the waters of the Red Sea, like two walls as they, as his people crossed that divide. Maybe it was when God destroyed the world with a massive flood. Maybe it was when Joshua stopped the sun. That's a good one there, isn't it? Or maybe it was when Jesus was able to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes. That's a good that's a good one. Or maybe when Jesus walked on water. No. The greatest demonstration or display of God's power, apart from... The initial act of creation itself was the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. Why is it the greatest? Because in that one miracle, the thing that binds people for an eternity away from God, uh, in that one miracle, the plan of God to redeem all of mankind reached its culmination the promise of God from the very beginning that he would redeem us from our fallen state, from our sin was achieved. God's power was displayed by rising Jesus or raising Jesus from the grave. And that resurrection grew. It began with him, but through him now, It's offered to everyone who puts their faith in him so that they receive resurrection too. So it wasn't just one. That one resurrection actually was the doorway for all of us to be resurrected. The resurrection of the dead is not just a unique event in all of history. There's no other person who has risen from the grave never to die again. But it was now available to all men who would simply receive it by faith. And Jesus is like a picture of the ark. You know, when God destroyed the world with a flood. But there are only a few who believed. And so there was this ark that was made. And those who entered into that ark were saved as the flood waters rose. That ark rose above the world. You see, Jesus is our ark. And Jesus is the one who you, when you are entered into Jesus, you are saved for all of eternity and you are resurrected to new life. Jesus, by his resurrection, defeated death and the powers of darkness. It demonstrated, that resurrection demonstrated his utter and complete conquest over sin and over death. And over every trick, and device, and temptation, and attack, the devil threw at him. I'm sure the devil was pretty busy around Jesus for his whole life. I, I don't believe that he just tempted him in a, in the, while he was in the wilderness. I think that the devil knew that if Jesus ever failed, even once, that he had won. But Jesus defeated the devil. He defeated death. He defeated sin for us. That resurrection from the grave showed us also that God the Father accepted the sacrifice that was made. Think about that. If Jesus had stayed in the grave, there was no proof that God had even accepted the sacrifice. Can someone say, yes, I'll I'll pay for the sins of the world, and then they stay in the grave. But the resurrection of Christ from the grave showed us that God accepted the sacrifice, and therefore through Jesus, our sins can be forgiven. The resurrection was a vindication of the sacrifice of Christ and God's acceptance of that sacrifice. The resurrection is what makes Christianity totally unique among all the world's religions and by virtue of the undeniable fact that Jesus accomplished what no other human being could ever accomplish or ever did or could. He stands apart from every religious leader or teacher that has ever walked the earth because they have all died and they're all still in their graves. Whereas he is not. He alone rose from the grave never to die again defeating death forever. He alone is the one who becomes the only source and channel through which God released his tremendous love and power for mankind. His sacrifice was was effective enough to pay for the sins going all the way back to the Garden of Eden to all the way forward to when he returns. You think about that for a moment. He didn't just die for the sins of the people that he was living with at that time, but every person who has ever existed, from the first two in that garden to, how many people do we have now in this world? Eight billion? And I want you to imagine a point for yourself, how many sins every person in the world has ever committed. And the atrocities that had been done and jesus sacrifice because he was god in the flesh was enough to pay for all of them his righteousness the bible says is it is actually imputed to us so and i've shared this with you before because it wasn't just it wasn't just that he paid for our debt you see every one of us is a debt because we are sinners and we have sinned to god Every time you break a law, every time they catch you, yeah, there's a debt to pay, isn't there? There's a fine to pay or you may if the if the uh, the crime is uh, big enough, they're going to send you to jail. Now the Bible says, God knows everything that we've done. Nothing is hidden in his sight from his sight. He knows every sin that we have committed. Every time we have broken his moral laws, God knows it already. There's not one thing that passes him. debts and all of your debts which means my account is back to zero again right i've got no debt not only that but the bible says he imputes all his righteousness to those who actually put their trust in him now i want you to think about that for a moment how much righteousness does jesus possess what's his bank account like if the bible tells us that he not only paid for our debt he actually fills up our accounts our righteousness to such a high level that when God sees us, he sees his son. He sees the righteousness of his son in me and in you. He sees us as rich before him. He sees the job done. For us, it looks like I'm still a work in progress here, Lord. I have so many things to fix in my life. I still have so many weaknesses that needed to be be sorted out. God, I am not perfect... In any stretch, by any stretch of the imagination, yet when God sees me, He sees me as a complete because he's able to see the end from the beginning. He's not the one trapped in time we are, but we can trust what he's done for us is complete. Through the resurrection, God fulfilled the promise that he made to Adam and Eve, to Abraham, to Isaac to Jacob, to King David, and all the prophets before, to everyone who was waiting for the Messiah to come in that resurrection, God fulfilled his promise. And this is the theme of the Bible, that though we see death, and though we experience sin and decay all around us, we can have the confidence that one day we will see him. Turn to the book of Job with me for a moment, because Job himself had this confidence that he was going to see God face to face and he uses an interesting word when he says i'm going to see him face to face job 19:25 the book of job was written well before jesus was ever born It is one of the earliest books ever written in the Bible. But listen to Job's own words here. Now we know that Job was a man of righteousness who God tested to refine his faith. And Job 19.25 says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and that though after my skin worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and none other, though my reins be consumed within me. This is the confidence that Job had before Jesus ever came or stepped into this world. He knew that his Redeemer lived and that he would would place his feet on this world one day and that he would save him. And he knew and had confidence that even though he'd be buried one day, and even though he may be eaten by worms, that one day he will get to see God face to face with his own eyes. Yes, if the cross is the, the display of the love of God toward mankind, the resurrection is the event that displayed the power of God. And today, the day we call Resurrection Sunday is a great reason to celebrate. It is the resurrection that secures our hope. It is Sunday that we celebrate, not Saturday. And although Friday might have seemed very grim, it's Sunday that we celebrate. It is the resurrection that changed the apostles' lives forever. They went from being scared and fearful and locked up in a room, fearful that someone was going to knock on the door and take them away, to the next moment Standing on top of of a roof and giving sermons and speaking in languages they, they had never spoken before, telling everyone that Jesus was alive. This sermon is about the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. And that same power the Bible promises can bring you and me new life. That same power. The Bible promises that. God promises that. That same power can take the heart of a lost sinner, a person who is alienated from God, a person who, who, who has no hope like Job did and transform that heart from a sinner to a saint. This is the reason that we meet on Sundays. We don't meet on Fridays or we don't meet on Saturdays because Friday because Sunday is the day that God inaugurates this new agreement with mankind. It's Sunday that Jesus rose. This is why we meet, not on the seventh day, but on the eighth or the first. Because this is a new creation that God has made. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. We live now and we are part of a new creation that God is making. second corinthians 5 17 tells us this and this is a question that needs to be answered for every individual whether they are in christ or whether they are not whether they are saved or whether they are not whether they've been redeemed by his blood or whether they have not you cannot be halfway in between those two things The Bible does not speak about you being halfway to heaven or a quarter way to heaven or you're working your way to heaven because there is no work that will ever get you to heaven. There is no work that can overcome the burden and the debt that we have toward God. And so we have to be saved. That's why God had to send a savior into the world. And the only one who could save us, who had the power to save us, was his only son. He was the one. He's the only one who could save us. That's why God sends his son and says, son, go into that world and save them. And he did. But this is the question here. 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That's the promise of salvation. That's the promise. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. You can't go back to being an old creature. I remember giving this illustration once to someone well, in, a, in, a, in a young adult's meeting, and I said, ever think about a caterpillar? What does a caterpillar do? It doesn't do much other than just eat and crawl around on its belly looking for leaves to eat, right? But a caterpillar then cocoons itself it then wraps itself up and then the caterpillar disappears for some reason. It's like it's dead. It's like it's gone into a tomb. But the caterpillar, when it comes out of that tomb, is what? A completely different creature. It goes through a metamorphosis. It goes through a complete change. And so it doesn't, it no longer crawls on its belly, okay, looking just for for, uh, for leaves to eat. It now has wings. It now flies. It is now a butterfly, which is a completely different looking animal than what it started off with. And everyone, anyone ever seen a butterfly go back to a caterpillar before? No. Will the, butter, will, the, will the butterfly ever think to itself, hmm, I used to love being a caterpillar on the ground there you know, these wings, you know, I oh, know, right, I can get around, I can fly all over the place, but I prefer to be on my belly. No. The Bible says that when a man is, or a woman is in Christ, when they are saved, they are a new creature. There's a completely new beginning for them. And it says that old things are passed away. the The butterfly doesn't look to eat, to eat leaves anymore. The butterfly looks for nectar. On flowers and it flies around and does what it has to do completely differently. All things are new. And that's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He somehow changes you. He changes the way you see the world. He changes your heart. He gives you this hope. He's promised you he's going to be with you every step of the way. He's never going to abandon you. So if you have Christ, if you are in Christ today, you, my friend, are a new creature. You might be trying to work out how, the, how the, the wings actually work, right? but you're a new creature, because God has made you that. And this is the hope we have because Jesus rose from the grave, you see. I want to share with you just a few verses, Romans 8.11, Romans 8.11. This is the hope that we have because Jesus rose from the grave. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. This is the difference between previous, previous uh, agreements that God made and the new covenant God made. Because God now had sent his Holy Spirit to dwell inside people who had put their faith in Christ. It says, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken, which means to your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Amen for that. 1 Corinthians 6.14 1 Corinthians 6.14 It says in that verse, And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up who us by His power. And turn with me finally to 1 Peter 3.15. You see the hope that we have? Because of the resurrection. The power that raised Jesus from the grave is the same power that grants us new life. And will be the power even if we die. If this mortal body dies, we have that he will raise us up from the grave as well. First Peter 3.15. And so this is the call to all believers. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Put him first there. May he be the first person, the first love that you have. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, you have hope. Yes, if, you, if you're if you in Christ, you have an amazing hope. And people who don't have Christ don't understand that hope. Couldn't possibly understand it. But the Apostle Peter says, well, at least be ready. When they look at this thing in you, when they see you on on Resurrection Sunday, all joyful and going out and being happy, or every day of your life, they see you different to them. Peter says, be ready to give them an answer about the hope that is in you. And the hope that is within us is because of Jesus Christ, because he rose again from the grave, because God has given us eternal life as a gift that we didn't have to earn and that we can't even keep. But he's keeping us. He keeps us. And so this is the hope that Peter wants us to share with others. But this is the hope that Peter wanted his own countrymen to have. Okay? He wanted the Jews of his days, on that day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down and indwelt them and gave them the ability to do certain things they'd never done before, Peter wanted his countrymen to have that same hope as him. So when the day of Pentecost had come, God sent his Holy Spirit into the world and it came upon those people in that upper room and they started talking in languages they'd never learned before. There were thousands of Jews from all over the Roman Empire that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Passover. They were there and they were aware of the scriptures, those people, because the Bible says that they were devout people. Okay, so turn back to Acts chapter two with me as you look at that, that those few verses. Because Peter, the same thing that Peter knows that we have, he wanted for his own people. And so Acts chapter 2 verse 5 says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That's a bit like saying, aren't all these people, aren't they from Collingwood? Why aren't they from Faulkner? Don't we know these guys? Don't they hang around? Yeah. You'll notice two important things that set the scene for the preaching of the gospel here. That those were all Jews. That the people that were listening to the preaching of Peter and all those other disciples that were now talking in different languages, they were all Jewish people or proselytes. They had become Jews. And they were there in, in Jerusalem at that time to celebrate a feast. God orchestrates everything perfectly. Right? And it says they were devout men, which means these were the type of people who took God seriously. You know why we know they took God seriously? Because you don't go travelling from all over the world to come to a place to celebrate a feast if you don't take something seriously. But they were confused, these people. They've got, there's this group of people that are there that obviously look a little bit different to them. I mean, if you were from Cappadocia, or if you're from Rome, if you're from, if you're from Galatia, or you're from all various parts of the empire, and were coming around, they weren't necessarily all dressed the same. They looked a bit different, okay? But here they've got these Galileans who were talking in their native language. So they're talking Latin, they're talking Greek, they, they're talking different languages, that they knew these guys could never have, these aren't, these aren't well-educated people necessarily. Um, and I'm not sure how they recognised them as being Galileans, but they did. They said, these people are Galileans. Maybe it was, I don't know, maybe they had the same sort of hairstyle. Maybe they, liked, they had mullets or something like that. Either way, they were distinguishable. And so here we have a miraculous event that's taking place among common people as a sign to the Jews of the authenticity of this message. And the, and the Jews needed a sign. They were looking for a sign because the God that they had served all those years, he worked like that among them. He did this sort of stuff. And so when God sent his prophets, they did that sort of stuff. And so they're looking for that. If this is going to be a message from God, it's going to come with something that's going to prove that this is from God, and so this is the one. See, you know, ever ever need to verify your account? You know, when they send you the who's got double authentic, authentication or whatever it is, they send you a text. You then have to put that text in. Okay, that's verifying who you are, right? This is how God verified himself, because First Corinthians chapter one verse twenty-two says, "For the Jews require a sign." It says, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. Now, why do the Greeks seek after wisdom and the Jews require the sign? Is it because Greeks are smarter? No, it's because the Jews recognize the signs. The Jews are used to that sort of stuff. They've got it all written down in history. That this is the way God used to work with them. They recognize him through the signs. But the Greeks don't have that experience with God. So the Greeks need something methodical, something with reason to line up for them to understand something and to believe in something. And so this is why the signs of the apostles in the New Testament, this is why God gave apostles. And why we don't have apostles today is because in those days, before the word of God was complete, the apostles were witnessing to the Jews mainly, and the Jews required miracles to verify the actual things, verify the actual message. And so the speaking of foreign languages which had never been learned, was a miracle in and of itself, but it was for the Jews to recognize who the message was coming from. So they understood that it was coming from God. And so this is a by bi- a, bi- a, a side note. This explains the teaching of Paul on tongues to the Corinthians, which had perverted the use of tongues. So in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, Paul says, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. And these tongues were always as a sign for people who don't believe. And so they were preaching the gospel to people that didn't believe, the Jews, who needed to understand that. So look at Acts 2.22 now. Peter goes on to say, ye men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know him being delivered by the determinant counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. So the Jews were well aware. Of Jesus, they knew that Jesus was around. They knew that they'd heard about his miracles. They they all knew it had gone around that he had been crucified by the Romans. And Peter, a Jew, was pointing the fingers and laying the the blame of his death squarely at their feet. And he was saying, "Because you rejected your Messiah." You handed him over to evil people and they crucified him. It's your fault that this happened. But, he says, this was determined to happen by God. God had already planned for this to happen. He knew you were going to reject the Messiah when he came to you. And through your rejection, through his crucifixion and through his resurrection, God was going to extend salvation to the entire world. And we are here today. I don't know if there's any Jews here today. But we are here today because they rejected Christ. And he was crucified for our sake. And God knew exactly what was going to happen. And he orchestrated it like that. And because of that, there is great hope now for everyone. Because in verse 24, he says, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. Death could not hold jesus isn't that a beautiful just phrase he he could not be held by death god was the only one who could break the power of death and the grave god was the only one who could extend forgiveness of sin and that was dependent upon the death of jesus and our hope is now dependent upon the resurrection of and the eternal life that he offers us christianity if you've ever wondered is not a philosophy it's not a creed it's not some meta doesn't come from some metaphysical understanding by people who were who were sitting and just contemplating what reality is like christianity isn't a system for self-improvement it isn't based on 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 merit it isn't based on effort it, isn't, it doesn't require continual sacrifice to make sure that you appease you know, an angry God. No, no, Christianity is simply the, the, the belief and trust that God loves you and gave his son for you. The resurrection of Jesus is critical and crucial to our faith. If someone wanted to destroy our faith, it wouldn't be that hard, really, if they could prove... They just have to prove that he um, didn't exist or he didn't really die or he didn't rise again from the grave. If they could find the tomb that says Jesus of Nazareth, here lays Jesus of Nazareth, and they find his bones in there, we might as well pack up our, uh, our bags and join some club on a Sunday, do something else. I want to share that with you. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Turn with me there. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing here. The Apostle Paul tells us if they prove that Jesus didn't rise from the... If anyone ever proves that... Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. It says, And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, waste of time. And your faith is also a waste of time. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. We're liars. We're found to be lying on behalf of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not for if the dead rise not then is not christ raised and if christ be not raised your faith is vain ye are yet in your sins then they also which are fallen asleep in christ are perished lost if in this life only we have hope in christ we are of all men most miserable miserable because we're believing a lie But now is Christ risen from the dead. He knows it. He met him. And become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. As in Adam all die. But if you're in Christ, you'll be made alive. We have a brotherhood with everyone else on this this world. And that is because we are all in Adam. We're all descendants from Adam. And so because of that, we all suffer from the same curse. We all all suffer from the same fallen nature. We are all destined for hell and deserve it. But if you choose Christ, the Bible says, that you shall be made alive because you now have a new identity altogether. And that is a child of God. So if they were to prove that Jesus didn't rise from the grave, our preaching is in vain. Our faith is in vain. We are liars or false witnesses for God. We are still in our sins. Anyone who has died believing in Christ is lost as well. And if that's what we, the only thing we had had to hold on to in life, then we are the most miserable people on the planet. Have you ever had total faith in something or someone and were totally let down in life? Anyone let you ever, someone special to you, someone important to you, ever let you down really badly? That broke your heart? That's what it would be like for us if we ever found out that Jesus had lied. But he didn't. And that's why we're here 2,000 years later. Because after 2,000 years, as hard as they've tried, there is no grave with his name on it. There is no proof that he didn't rise from the grave. In fact, we have a huge amount of evidence that he actually rose again from the grave and he changed the world as a result. I mean, just look at the testimony of the apostles themselves. Men and other men of faith who believed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People who were living in his day. They saw him rise from the grave. They went from one state to another state. As a result of their encounter with Jesus Christ, the apostles' lives were transformed from being fearful and uncertain and scared to confident and bold. And they all gave their lives declaring that Jesus is alive. Let's look at a couple of examples before we close. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 26. Most of you know and are familiar with the name Thomas. The poor guys had a bad rap for a very long time because because often people equate the name Thomas with doubter, right? But the poor guy didn't get to see Jesus like the rest of them. He hadn't seen him, okay? And he says, even though all of his mates all the other disciples say, we've seen him, he's alive, we've seen him, he's alive. Thomas goes, I need to see him for myself. And this is the story when Thomas finally sees him. And so in John chapter 20, verse 26, so he's doubting. He's, he's even thinking his own friends are crazy. His own friends, what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. He died on a cross. They 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 put a spear, a spear in his side. I, I saw the way he was beaten up to a pulp, and they put him in a tomb. And now you're telling me he's he's walking around with you? Look at this. John twenty verse twenty six says, and after eight days again his disciples were within. They were inside a room together, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus. The doors being shut. Doesn't Jesus doesn't need a door to walk through? He just shows up, huh? and stood in the midst and said peace be unto you then saith he to Thomas yeah Jesus doesn't forget anyone does he he knew Thomas hadn't seen him he said reach hither thee thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side touch where I've, where I've got that hole and be not faithless but believing and Thomas answered and said to him my Lord and my God Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas went on to become an evangelist and gave his life for what he believed. The doubter, Thomas the doubter, went to preach the gospel and gave his life. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? Have you trusted the Bible as the word of God? Then you are trusting the testimony of those people that were with Jesus, who saw him. That's who we are trusting. We are trusting that God caused those men to faithfully record what they saw. That includes all the disciples and the apostles. It includes Mary Magdalene, Includes the Mary, the mother of Jesus. It includes also the apostle Paul who had a special visit from Jesus after. Even in the face of threats of imprisonment and beatings and death, all these people went to their graves saying, I saw him alive and I believe him and I've put my trust in him and his promise to me. The Apostle Paul was so confident in the resurrection of the Lord that he plainly states that I may know the goal of his life was that he might know him and the power of his resurrection. And this is his desire for all believers. That they might come to know Jesus on a much deeper level. That they might come to know if you've put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sin. The Apostle Paul's desire was that he would come to know the power of his resurrection in his life. Even though Paul had suffered so much throughout his whole life and eventually he got, was beheaded for what he believed. His whole goal was to, to recognize that power in his own life. The same power that rose that raised Jesus from the dead. Turn me to one final passage as we close. Ephesians 1.19. This is the Apostle Paul who saw the risen Jesus, who went from being a persecutor of the church to an apostle of Jesus Christ and dying for what, for what, he, uh, what he saw and what he believed. This is his desire for us. He says in Ephesians 1.19 that we might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which is to come and that's my prayer for all of you and for me, that we would experience the power of God in our lives, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave working through us. If you've never met Jesus, if you've never experienced Jesus, if you've never received the love of Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in Jesus, then today is the day to do that. There is no better day than to put your trust on the day that the world celebrates, well, part of the world celebrates, the day that he rose again from the grave. Today is a day to trust Jesus with your eternal soul because there is no one in this world more trustworthy than him. Christian, if you know the Lord Jesus, if you put your trust in him, then walk in him, stay in him. Keep your eyes firmly focused upon him because you now have a calling to be his witness in this world.